When it comes to hard work, there's one important rule. Pick the right tool for the right job. That's why Chevy offers a family of Silverado pickup trucks designed just for the job. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time. We met right after college. Yeah, in our first jobs as radio producers. We spent our 20s as win women for each other, and it didn't work out very well. But then it did. And we found the right guys and stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. We make it look easy. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and provide some knowledge to other average parents. We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, after season one, I'm pretty sure we already have. So welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and take a look. So apparently we're not alone in this parenting universe, and it really does take a village. Wait, so there are other absolutely average parents out there? Well, maybe not as average as us, but this week's guest has been sharing her parenting journey and finding experts to help just like us Uh for for years. And where I'm totally thrilled to have the chance to talk to her today, Um, she's a pioneer mom who, together with a friend, has grown quite a pretty big community of parents for... um, for parents with teenagers and college-age kids. So a, a little bit older. Yeah, a little bit older. Um, in fact, it's a community of more than 400,000 people Wow. Um, that are following this community, sharing, commiserating, and learning from each other and telling stories. Uh, and I don't. I think you already know what I'm going to talk about, but it's uh, the group called Grown and Flown. Yeah, I've been reading Grown and Flown on social media for a while, even though you know, our kids are a little bit younger, but, yeah. um, but the posts are just universal. Yes. And um, they keep showing up in my feed. So it's clearly something that, you know, I we're lined up. Yes. So because we have 13 year olds, so we're, we're just shy of high school. Um, I can't remember exactly when I started subscribing on Facebook to Grown and Flown, but it was around the time. And I don't know if this is like the universe is just like putting me in line with it. But it was around the time that my best friend was taking her daughter to college. And didn't you ride with them in the car? No, I went to visit, but okay. <laughs> I wasn't. There wasn't room in the car for another human being. <laughs> well, I knew you went to visit. In fact, they were driving there today, oh, so they? there's no space for anything left. They couldn't <laughs> even bring sisters and brothers with them. It was just mom, dad, and the kid. But um, so the timing of it was just incredible because I started seeing all these articles and blog posts about sending their kid off to school, and all I remember is sitting in the kitchen at my um, bar and sobbing and getting a lump in my throat. And I don't even know the kids that they're talking about. I don't even have a college kid. And it was so real to me. And all I could think about was my daughter. And like, this is not that far away. Yeah. So while we were prepping for this episode, I was sitting outside music lessons and um, in my car reading this book on my computer. And um, I was ugly crying. <laughs> 
people were walking by and I was like, <laughs> and the kids came out from their music lessons and they were like, what happened? What happened, mom? Did the dog die? <laughs> exactly. And I was like, it's not what happened. It's what's going to happen. <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, it's just like full of emotions. But Lisa Heffernan is the co-founder of Grown and Flown. She's a New York Times bestselling author and a mom, obviously. Uh, you can find her work in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, Forbes, you name it. And here's another big thing I found out about her. Um, in 2017, Lisa and her co-founder, Mary Dell Harrington, were named two of 25 women changing the world by people magazine i know i saw that too so how cool is that now lisa and mary have published a book that comes out next week and it's called grown and flown how to support your teen stay close as a family and raise independent adults wow <laughs> sounds daunting doesn't it yeah, exactly <laughs> thanks for joining us lisa Oh, thanks so much for having me. So let's start at the beginning because um, not everyone may know. I, f- I feel like everyone knows, but maybe not everyone knows a little bit about Grown and Flown and who you're, target- who- who you're targeting with that. Oh, sure. Thanks. So about seven years ago, Mary Dell and I had um, our youngest kids were in high school and our older kids were starting college. She has two and I have three. And we were just feeling a bit lost. Um, we were entering what we thought were some of the most challenging, exciting, certainly consequential years of parenting. And there just wasn't a lot written. There weren't a lot of websites. There weren't a lot of blogs. There were a few great books, but not very many. And um, we thought we'd throw up some of our experiences. We talked to some other parents, and slowly it began to grow. So we started the website, like I said, about seven years ago. Um, we now have 500 writers on the website. Some of them are writing from their vantage points of being parents. Many of them are teachers, doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists. Um, we have a college president who writes for us. So they're writing from their experience with high school and college kids um, as a professional who deals with this age group. Um, we also have a Facebook group, um, which has got about 125,000 parents in it right now, and the conversation is 24-7 in there about all of the challenges and joys of raising kids this age. I'm, I'm constantly uh, scrolling through, and I was just telling Anne this morning, um, there was one in particular that just got me. It was uh, a woman who uh, every day before the first day of school would make a cake. And I'm I'm probably gonna get a little, I'm probably gonna get choked up just telling the story, but she made a cake every day before the first day of school, uh, and was a, in the form of a school bus. Okay, and her son goes off to college, and she obviously can't make him the cake because he's at school, but she sends the cake mix and all the fixings for it, just like as a gesture or whatever, like hey, you know this tradition, you know you're going off to school, and he made the cake and he sent her a picture. And it was a really great attempt. I, it was like, it was just so sweet and raw. And I was just like, oh my God, those are the moments you dream of as a mom. Yeah. It was so amazing. And I was sitting there crying, looking at this picture and reading the story. We're not emotional at all, Lisa. We are no, not. No, I can see that. <laughs> um, Many times what happens in the group is um, people come to us. I don't know if you've seen these. And they come to us with questions that they want to post to the group. But because of the privacy that they need for their own families or for their kids, because many times there are issues that you just don't want to blast out to 100,000 people, um, they give us their questions, and we post them. So every day we post many, many anonymous questions about some of the most challenging moments in parenting. And, you know, if you're having a difficult time with one of your kids, 
you may not actually even know somebody who's having the same situation you're having. Um, I'll just use an example. Let's say your kid has got caught cheating at school. You may not know anybody who's had that situation. You may not know the best, best way to help them go forward from this from this episode. Or maybe they didn't cheat. Maybe they've been accused of cheating. But when you come into a group of 125,000 parents, you will find many, many parents who've had every experience that you're having. None of us are alone. Um, and you'll find compassion and you'll find support and you'll certainly find insight and resources. Um, so we hope that the group is really a help to parents, particularly parents who don't know somebody in their real life experiencing what they're experiencing. Yeah, it makes it a little less lonely. It certainly does. Lisa, in the book, you, you talk about um, a mom like that. Uh, her name is Janet. Can you tell her story? Yeah, Janet is actually one of the reasons we started the group. So Janet reached out to us in an email and said that her daughter was starting college um, and that her husband, very, very sadly and tragically, was dying of cancer and was going to die and did die um, during her daughter's freshman year in college. And she knew that she couldn't, you know, take this cloud away from her daughter's life, and she knew that her daughter couldn't have the normal college experience the joy of making new friends and all the excitement during college, but she wanted her to come as close as possible. And she needed some resources at the college that she could reach out to if she needed to in an emergency um, or if her daughter needed help, because this was obviously going to be a very tragic thing in this young woman's life. And um, she asked us what to do. And I got to be honest with you, we didn't have any good ideas. And this was just too important and too consequential for me or Maridelle to give her some backhanded, just off-the-cuff, just made-up, you know, sort of idea. We had no idea what to do, and we were not going to fob her off with something. So we thought, why don't we ask the group? Um, and this is when the, this, this is how the anonymous questions in our group were born. Um, maybe there's somebody out there who either has been in a situation somewhat like this, maybe not exactly like it, but similar, or maybe there's somebody there who works in colleges or is a psychologist or, you know, just has some insight on, on this situation from their professional lives. And sure enough, of course, there were. And they jumped in. We posted the question. We didn't give her name away. Mm-hmm. We actually weren't going to give her name away in the book until we told her about it. She said, you absolutely can use my name now. This is, you know, five years later, uh, maybe less, four years later. So... um we posted it in the group, and the group jumped in with support, with just, I love you, and I wish you weren't going through this, and we're thinking about you, to reach out to the head of housing because they have people, you know, et cetera, et cetera, point, you know, point in verse um, of suggestions to help Janet through this situation and, um, and her family. So your, um, your background is in business, and you worked at Goldman Sachs and actually wrote a, wrote a book about it. Um, what drew you exactly to parenting in the education arena? Was it just like you saw an opportunity or a, a hole um, and you wanted to try fill it with this community, or was there other reasons? It was my own challenges. Um, one of the things we start the book with um, is some of our most memorable parenting fails. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't this book is a compilation of experts and parents and insight from research and some things that Maridel and I have learned. This is not Maridel and Lisa's ideas how to parent because I just don't have that amount of hubris. Oh, yeah. um, and I started the book by telling the story of my family being kicked out of a restaurant because my teenagers are so horrible. Um, my boys used to fight. I have three boys um, born in four years and they fought horribly. Um, and they decided to have a fight 
and hit each other at the dinner table, which was actually not that unusual in my house. <laughs> what was unusual is that this was like a pedestal table in a restaurant. I only had two of the boys. I didn't have my oldest with me. So the two, they were sitting on either side of the table. We were sitting, my husband and I were in the other, across from each other. And one reached up to hit the other, as you do at a restaurant. <laughs> and of course, took the entire table with him and dumped all of our food and all of our dishes and oh, no. everything onto the floor and broke everything. Mm-hmm, smashed everything. Oh, no. Well, I are no longer welcome in this restaurant. Um, <laughs> I loved your husband's um, reaction. He he was like, "How much cash do you have?" <laughs> it's like we need to pay some money here. We have smashed four table settings, all the glasses, the you know, the the flower vase in the middle of the table. We've smashed that too now. Oh, you got it all. Oh no, no, yeah, this is good. This is a good moment. Um, so you know, here I am. Like I have good boys. My my sons are wonderful kids. But my sons, and I'm going to be honest here, like did stuff like that. My sons crashed our cars, all three of them. Like, (laughs) they're good boys. It's not like they were, you know, I'm throwing my hands thinking I have these terrible teenagers. I found parenting teenagers really challenging and really overwhelming many times. And I thought maybe other people are too. Um, So that really was the birth of it. Yeah, and you talk about the fact there's not that much information out there for these years. And I think one of the things you mentioned was, you know, we get them to about 13, um, and then then suddenly we're like, oh, we, we did a great job, you know, we're, we're done. And, like, it's just beginning. I don't feel like I'm done with my <laughs> Yeah, no. no. you're just starting. You know, you've kept them alive to get them to <laughs> adolescence, but they, but it's just there's so much to navigate. And it, one of the things you bring up in the book the idea of helicoptering or snow plowing, we, we, have, we have changed parenting and made it bad for, for parents to be hovering. You're not supposed to. But you say in the book that it is actually more normal for parents and, and children to be in contact and that it was really the 60s, 70s, and 80s when the parents stepped away. So pretty much our parents stepped away yeah. and sort of said, oh, you know, brush it off. Or, that's exactly know, what happened for us. Yeah, rub dirt on it, right? Yeah. But th- that's not necessarily the historical norm. Yeah, you know, before that era, um, kids weren't just sent off. And, you know, we kind of raised ourselves from 18 onwards. Yeah. And, that's not really a good thing. An 18-year-old is very much um, very much a work in progress, let's call it. Um, so what we're finding now and what research is showing is that kids um, like their parents more. They want to remain in contact with them more. They certainly have a great deal more contact with them. Um, they are more likely to talk to them about their um, romantic life. They're more likely to talk to them about their professional life, seek out advice about jobs, about internships, um, more likely to talk to their parents about money, even when they're in their 20s. And these, by and large, are wholly good things, as long as the kid is also moving on the road to independence. Being close to your kids and having your kids be independent do not have to be in conflict with each other. They, those two things can coexist well and have always coexisted. Um, you know, for a long time, we lived in small towns and we stayed in those small towns and you would have lived down the street from your parents and your parents would have helped you raise your own kids. Right. Yeah. Um, many people still enjoy that, but a lot of people moved away for college and didn't have that experience. So um, the constant communication isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as it's a dialogue, as long as you have slipped into that mentorship role, really, with your um, your late teen or your young adult, as long as you're not giving directives, but instead giving advice. Sure. Uh, 
and being that, you know, the, one of the most useful things we do for our kids, and I know it sounds cliche, is just that we listen to them. Lisa Demore calls this taking out the emotional tra- their emotional trash. They kind of dump it on you, and then they feel better. Yeah. But, you know, talking about something with an adult when you're 18 years old is really important. When we had problems, what did we do when we were 18 years old? We asked other 18-year-olds. Yeah, we talked to our peers. more than we did. Yep. They knew nothing. They knew nothing. We knew nothing, and we all, you know, fell on our faces. <laughs> right. Um, as long as the adult isn't directing you and, and, and overstepping, um, parents, researchers are finding parents can be an extremely, extremely positive influence on their kids' lives. One of the things I appreciate about appreciate about your work um, and is kind of how Ann and I model our podcast is that we're absolutely average and um, we go and get the experts on a particular topic. Um, we're not here telling you how to do things. And that's sort of how you model, you and Mary also mo- model things. Uh, you have people like Lisa Damore, Jessica Leahy, who, by the way, we, we've had them both on our show a couple times. We love them. Uh, the Gift of Failure was love amazing. Um, so the book covers a lot of topics like family life, happy mental health, academics, getting into college, uh, like what life is like in college, love, sex, all that kind of stuff, things people, parents deal with daily with their teens. Was it hard to narrow, like, because there's so many things you could talk about. Was it hard to narrow down what topics to to put in the book because you only had so much space? Yes, it was. (laughs) Yes, you you got that just right. Um, We could have made the book three times the size, except our publisher would have been like, no, nobody wants a book that long. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so we try to pinpoint those things. It, we are not experts at all, and we don't we don't even pretend to be experts in the book. Um, hence the reason we start with our own parenting fails. Before you get to the numbered pages, like while you're still in the Roman numeral pages, we're telling you what bad parents we are. So <laughs> I don't want anyone to think for a minute that we got this. We've got this gig down. You're in good company. Um, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But what we do know. Um, from seven years of listening, developing a community, having writers, what we do know is some of the questions that are most on parents' minds. That we don't know the answers, but we, we, we're, we've got seven years of listening intently to hundreds of thousands of parents and millions of parents every month. So what we tried to figure out and put together were the things that we know people are asking about the most often. Sure. Um, the things that are uppermost on parents' minds. We have a section about sexual assault on campus. This is a topic that is on parents' minds so prominently as they send their kids off to college. We have a section on stress and anxiety mm-hmm. and having, how to help your kid reframe anxiety in a way that's constructive in their lives because we know this is, this is on most of our minds, not even a lot of parents' minds. Most of our mi- parents are trying to figure out how their kids are going to cope with stress and anxiety because we know that that looms in their lives. So that's how we picked, just based on what we hear people asking, and then we went to people who know the answers and got them from them. One thing you guys talk about is uh, the notion of trust versus tracking, or to portal or not to portal. And this is something <laughs> Tracy and I have talked about. Um, is the general consensus that we know too much about our kids? I know um, I-, I almost never go on the portal, but I Jessica do. Jessica Leahy told us not to go on the portal, yes, she portal did. remember? She, yes, she did. Um, and my daughter, I track her through Life 360 so I can see where she is. But, you know, that's you're stepping on some, some privacy issues there, aren't you? Yeah. So like anything else, I'm going to say it depends on the kid. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of parents who would like to tell you, do not track your kid. Um, and we had a whole group of parents talking about don't track don't talk your freshmen, particularly in college. They're 18 years old. They're adults, technically. God knows they don't act like them. But Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> they're legally adults. And then, you know, one mom chimes in and says, my kid has type 1 diabetes. He has never managed this on his own. We have, we're teaching him. He's learning. But there have been adults in the house, of course. 
because, you know, he's lived with us. He has a serious chronic illness. And if you think I'm going to turn that off and not make sure in the morning that he's up and moving and things are okay, you're crazy. So the answer is every kid is different and every situation is different. A lot of kids are happy to be tracked and in reverse, they want to track their parents. Yeah. They, when they get home from school and mom isn't there, they want to flip that on and say, oh, where is she? Yeah. You know, oh, she's still at work. Oh, she's, she's already at the grocery store, so I know she's going to be home soon. So it's what works for your family. If your child feels like it's a huge invasion, then maybe you turn it off. And maybe you turn it off with some caveats saying, you know, as long as you are home by curfew, you know, I will stop tracking you. When you disobey our, our agreed upon curfew, when you aren't where you say you're going to be, when I find out that you've done something, you know, differently than we agreed upon, then I turn it back on again. And the, it runs the same thing with the portal. Um, I, we do quote Jess in the book about the portal because <laughs> there's some really, really good points about it. But again, the portal can be a situation where you say, here are my expectations for you in terms of turning in your work on time, in terms of the kinds of grades that I know and you know that you're capable of achieving. As long as that's all happening, we're good. Right. And I'm just giving you this as an example, something you might do. But if that isn't happening, then the portal gets opened because you haven't done what we agreed upon and now I need to do some monitoring. Or conversely, some families have told us they use the portal in 8th and ninth grade and then in 10th grade, maybe once a semester. And then in 11th grade, maybe they turn it off, recognizing that a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old are, are very different entities. So it's it's really very much what works for a particular family, and it's also not a static situation. All right, so you also talk about priming with positive emotion, and I had never heard of this, yeah. um, and I tried it with my kids right as, as soon as they got in the car and saw me ugly crying, um, <laughs> but can, can, can you explain what that is? And I, yeah. I think we all could learn to use this in, in very effective ways. Yeah, so we interviewed... Um, Two gentlemen, uh, one's a psychiatrist and one's uh, an educator, I guess, who teach the most popular class at NYU. Um, it's called The Science of Happiness. And they have like 450 undergraduates. Um, the class is so big that they actually have to hold it at the business school in this enormous lecture hall. I went and uh, sat in the back of their lecture once or went and met them there once. Um, and they talk about some, a lot of research that's come out that shows that we can frame a discussion in such a way that it has a diff- the words that we use and the attitude that we bring has a different impact on the outcome. So our tendency when we talk to our kids is to say, like, how was school? How was class? Did you do all right? What did you do? You know, when they call us from college, you know, how are your classes going? And we're sending the message that that's what's important. They say that we can prime the pump. In other words, we can affect our kids' emotions by priming the pump with much more positive questions. Um, about their friendships, about what they're getting involved in, so that we set the tone for the conversation. And when we set it in a way that says, how are you doing in class? How are you doing in class? They get the message, grades are important, grades are important. This is what I've got to do. Um, So it's a way to convey our values to our kids, and it's a way to make them look at things in a very positive way. It's one of my favorite sections in the book. Um, It's a section on mental health, because I feel like between them and the section um, we interviewed, Dr. Francis Jensen, who wrote a book called um, The Teen Brain. Between the two of them, they give parents a lot of really, really constructive things to work with. When they talk about asking the question, what made you laugh today? You know, start yeah. start the conversation with that. Or like, Ooh. what was your favorite, what was the favorite thing that happened today? So that you are immediately creating this, uh, almost an endorphin rush, where, pe- where yep. they're remembering the, the positive, and then then the, the conversation flows out of that, rather than 
having it be like set the up. Spanish Inquisition, like boom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so I had both of my kids tell me their favorite memories yesterday. And after that, they, they were both pretty grumpy before that happened. They, then they both told me their favorite memories and we laughed about them. And then one of them offered to share something with the other. And I was like, wait, they don't share. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to do that every day. It's, you know, with stressed teenagers, middle schoolers and high schoolers who come home at the end of the day, they've gotten up too early, they're probably hungry, they're kind of wrecked, they got home, they got hours of homework in front of them. What a nice thing to set that tone in their afternoon. Absolutely. When my daughter comes home after a day of middle school and you're trying to hold it all together and be cool, calm and collected all day, she's, she's, she's cooked. By the end of the day, she's like ready to, I, I just need a little bit of time away from everyone. Like, just give me time, mom. And I, so I learned that I, I failed. Mm-hmm. I failed lots of days. And then I realized, oh, wait, I have a better, I should handle this differently. Yep. So um, some of our friends are actually dropping their kids off at college for the first time. Um, like one of my friends today, actually, they're driving uh, the big big truck to school with (laughs) everything from Bed Bath & Beyond in it. Um, What's some advice you've learned through this very large community that you've grown over the years um, that you could impart to some of these parents that are heading off and dropping their kids off? Um, One of the first things is we have a lot of really sad, really negative feelings about this experience Um, and because the kids are leaving. And look, you're talking to somebody who had to pull over on I-95 on the shoulder of the road because I was crying so hard. You couldn't see? No, I thought it was honestly, I was dangerous to myself or someone else on the road. Like no one can drive in that condition. So when I say this, don't take, don't think for a moment that I handled this well. I handled this as badly as a parent possibly could. But one of the first things I realized really quickly is my kids going away and your kids going away was not like when we went away. When we went away, we called our parents once a week. We had a brief conversation. We were all highly conscious of the fact that long-distance calls were expensive, and we wouldn't speak to each other again for seven days. Your kids may not message you again for seven minutes. They will check in with you. They will send you pictures of something funny they see. They'll send you a text. FaceTime. All these things that we didn't have. Exactly. Um, I call it in my family the digital dinner table. My family is on something called GroupMe. My kids put me on it. I don't know what it is, but it works for us. So the five of us are in GroupMe, and there is a constant discussion of someone heard something funny, someone saw something stupid, you know, my kids want to make fun of each other, whatever. It's the same kind of daily nonsense that went on on our wooden dinner table that sits in my kitchen is now going on online. So it's super important for parents to realize that they are not going to separate what from their kids the way they separated from their parents, because I think that's where a lot of the sadness is. Yeah. At one point you talk about the sadness because you're going to, um, what did you say? You said, um, you will know your child a little less. Yeah. <sighs> and and it is it is a grieving process a little bit, right? It is. It is. And let yourself have that. Don't, you know, I kind of slapped myself across the face and said, what is wrong with you? Your kid has just gone to college. There's a wonderful piece that Rob Lowe wrote about, you know, my kid is not going to jail. My kid is not going to war. Like, what is wrong with me? Going to college is a triumph in a kid's life. And here we are feeling sad. Don't beat yourself up. It is sad. They have been in your house for 18 years. You love them like life itself. Mm -hmm. Don't beat yourself up. Let yourself feel sad. Find a friend or a spouse, or a sibling, or somebody you can share this sadness with, somebody who really, really understands. Don't go through it alone. Don't go through any of this alone, by the way. Um, Find your community and find people who can help you through it. Um, 
most parents find that it fades, and it fades rather quickly. The kids come home so often, it will shock you. <laughs> they reach out constantly. Um, they still, like I said, this is a different generation. They want to share their lives with us in a way that we perhaps didn't share with our parents. So it's not going to be the kind of cold, hard separation yeah. that many of us experience. Yes. Thank goodness. Um, yeah. So, Lisa, we are, we've got 13 and 11-year-olds, uh, yeah. so we're shy of having these real-life college things, leaving the nest things. But is there something that we can do now so that we're, at, uh, we're prepared for what happens in just a few years? Yeah. So, first of all, our site and our group and this book is very much for high school parents. Okay. So, I, we talk about college a lot because drop-off is happening right now, and it's right. kind of uppermost in a lot of people's minds. Sure. We, the, the, there's sections on this book written by um, high school teachers about, like, how to get your kids off on the right foot of ninth grade. So, the book is very, very much for high school parents. Okay. And, um, you had some good academic suggestions, too. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't me. Of course, that was educators. I, okay. <laughs> any, I don't have any good academic suggestions. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, the whole thing, I thought about my experience with my kids as this long handoff where on day one, I kind of owned their lives. Like, I was in control of everything. And on a day that hasn't even happened yet, they will be in control of everything. Actually, they're pretty much in control of everything. They just ask my advice sometimes. Um, And that it's a slow handoff where more and more moves to them and less and less accrues to me. Um, But the goal is to get yourself into that mentoring role, that advisor role, um, and to use every bit of experience in their life as a teaching process. So let me just use the college admissions process as an example. A lot of parents will say, let them apply on their own. It's their decision. They need to pick it. They need to, you know, they're 17 years old. They need to step up the plate and do this. I kind of didn't agree with that. I felt like the college admissions process was this amazing teaching opportunity. Here is this complicated process that involves researching schools, learning about financial aid, learning about what they're offering, finding out if they're in a good setting, learning about what, you know, how likely you are to get into that school, figuring out a list where there are schools you're likely to get into and schools that you may not get into but want to, you know, reach for. This is just this incredible teaching process. So a lot of our experiences in the high school and college years can, you can say, sink or swim. That's how you're going to learn. Or you can say, hmm, there are a lot of adult skills that I can kind of teach you through this process, not doing it for you but I can teach you adult skills along the way. So I think it's to look for all of those. Those start very early. Those start at 14 or 15. We talk a lot about time management in the book. That's an adult skill. Yes. Um, that you can work on with your kids. I'd, 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 I'd venture to say some adults still have time management skill problems. <laughs> yes, they do. And also so you... I actually, I did an experiment with my, um, with my um, middle son. I will tell you which one. <laughs> um, I tried the sink or swim. I he, so he's, he had really huge time management problems, and I talk about them in the book. And so I thought, okay, I'm not going to touch this. He will either turn in his homework or he will not turn his homework. He will sink or he will swim. He will pass or he will fail. And, of course, he started to fail um, because he didn't have the skills. I know there's some research that says they'll learn them. He wasn't learning them. Mm-hmm. So instead, we tried some things that I thought of. We, we, I read about the book. We, we put a big whiteboard on the wall of his room, and he wrote all of his assignments every day on the whiteboard so that he couldn't lie to himself which is what he was doing about how much work he had. Uh-huh. Um, it was there in black and white. And so I didn't have to say, what do you have to do? How much work do you have? Because it was all there in black and white. So I feel like sometimes sinking or swimming is the answer, but a lot of times it's like, how can I teach through some of these adult skills I know they're going to need? This is my chance with teenagers to do this. 
Yes. You also did an experiment with the, with your boys at, with sleep, right? Didn't you force them to get sleep every night? Yeah, I forced them. I was really bad. Uh, they, had, they had all sorts of names for me. I kind of believe that I taught my children to worship at the altar of sleep. I feel like there is so much uh, research that will show us that it affects their their health, Absolutely. their performance in school, and their performance in sports. And all three of those were important things to high schoolers, to my high schoolers. They were on teams that they wanted to do well on. They were in classes they wanted to do well, and we wanted to obviously keep them healthy. And this was the one thing I thought I could really do, something I could really set out for them. Um, so we, we kind of had like that in our house around 1030, which was just insanely early. And if you hadn't finished your work, you're going to get up early in the morning and do it. Yeah. Lisa Demore actually taught, we talked about sleep with her quite a bit um, and the importance of it, especially with the proliferation of cell phones and everyone having cell phones and devices in their rooms and how sleep needs to be like the gospel. Like you need to make sure that that, that is, there's sanctity in, in sleep. So Because they the time will just creep away. You know, they'll say, oh, t- just 11 o'clock, just 11.15, just 11.45. I'll be in bed before midnight. Suddenly you have kids who are going to bed at 1.15. Nuts. And, you know, that alarm goes off at 6.30. Yeah. And it's brutal. They, we know what that does. We know where that leads. How did they do when they transitioned to college? Um, so they didn't do that well at first. Um, they... <laughs> Uh, they all got sick um, because freshmen seemed to all get sick. Yes, that happens. Was, yeah, so it was like um, it was, when I went to college, my, my mom didn't let me eat a lot of sweets when I was a kid. And so when I went to college, I just basically ate sweets all the time. And, Same thing. And binged, right? And then I stopped, of course. So I made my kids sleep. So then they went to college and kind of didn't sleep for a while. And they binged on the fact that they could stay up until all hours of the morning. And then they got sick. Yeah. And, and you know, it was kind of like, boys, why do you think you got sick? Yeah. And then they learned, but they had to, they had to fail. They had to realize it on their own terms and then be like, oh, mom was right. Yeah. But, you know, some of the things around sleep and, and you know this around good eating habits and things like that, if you have taught them good habits when they were in your home, they may go to college and go crazy, like eating candy for breakfast. But that won't last. They'll go back to the, to the things that they were taught that are the good habits they learned. Yeah. Exactly. So... Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but what kind of parent did you consider yourself to be when you were raising the boys? And would you be that same parent now if you had middle schoolers or high schoolers now after your community? And and like, I think that the the beauty of Grown and Flown on Facebook is that like I might have it in my head one way and then I read something and I'm like, you know what? That actually makes kind of sense. And I I think I so it kind of sways me a little bit. To, to maybe not be a certain way on a certain topic or whatever. Does does that happen to you? Yeah. I think I would have done a couple of things differently. I would have talked about the issues and problems I had as I was having them more. Um, I think we're all a little shy about discussing the challenges that we're having. And when I see how much benefit people in our community are getting from discussing their challenges, I know that that was a mistake. I would have read a lot more experts. Um, there is a lot to be learned from people who study this. People like you just mentioned, like Lisa Damore and like Jess Leahy, both of whose work I adore, and many others. Um, so I would have read more. I did a lot of reading when they were tiny and then kind of stopped. Like what? Totally. Yeah. You yeah. were reading sleep books and like all that like developmental, like, oh, at three months they should be doing this. And then it sort of, after they're toddlers, it drops off. You don't really have that many books to read. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's as important or more important. And then the third thing I think is to let go of um, sort of the milestone mania. 
<laughs> so let's go back to what you were talking about. They are supposed to do certain things at three months. And there are certain things that, you know, when you're in your eighth month of pregnancy. And we got conditioned by reading some of those books to think that that kind of thing would continue. Kids mature at such different rates. And even the same child matures differently. So I have one who d- matured intellectually quite early, but emotionally much later, even within the same child and certainly within the same family and certainly when you compare them to their peers. So let go of so many of those preconceived notions about what they should be doing by a certain age. They will do it when they're ready. Exactly. You can't make it happen faster. You can be there to help teach and guide, but let go of some of those preconceived notions. Thank you so much, Lisa. It, like I really, honestly love your your feed and all the um, articles that all your authors and contributors, um, a college presidents, psychologists, doctors, everyone's on there with different articles. That if not one one hour, an hour later, there might be something else that might hit and, and touch your fancy. <laughs> but it's it's a place where you can go and and realize you're not alone, and that's yes. that's what we need. So, Lisa Heffernan, co-founder of Grown and Flown, um, also author of Grown and Flown with Mary Dell Harrington. Um, we are we are thrilled to read it, and we will tell all of our friends about it. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So, apparently, it's not so bad to not know the answers. Yep. It's very good to ask questions. Yep. And we're not alone. We're not alone, and that's reassuring, you know, because it wouldn't it be awful if you had to get it right? <laughs> Every time. Every time, or even once. <laughs> Uh, it's it's really cool to know that everyone's going through this. And, I, you know, we talked about um, some of the books that we've read and, and where were they when our yeah. babies were babies, whatever. This is the book that we can be reading now because we're on the cusp of helping them grow and fly. <laughs> exactly. And again, the Facebook page, Grown and Flown, is just incredible. Um, Every day there's something that I read and like I'll be crying or happy tears or whatever. Um, They're just, there's a lot of really good, raw, honest talk about anything that you can possibly imagine. And one thing that I didn't ask Lisa, but she mentioned it in the book, she said, she suggested when you drop your kids off at college that you write a letter like a heartfelt letter that you have considered and then you put it in some piece of their luggage or whatever and leave it for them to find because she said she didn't do that. And then she kept sending little texts with nuggets of how much she and she was like, those texts are gone now. But, you know, when your kid is lonely or needing sort of to find a, a center again, they can go to that letter and have it. That's an awesome idea. Yeah. Or like um, a friend did this for my daughter, uh, an envelope. When you're happy, open this envelope. When you're sad, open oh. this envelope. When, when, Goosebumps. And, and so in each envelope was a, a letter pertaining to whatever that emotion was. I oh, thought that was pretty neat. That is very neat. And the kids hold on to that. At least my kids did. Right, yeah. I've done stuff for camps and all, you know, there's a lot of stuff in ca- <laughs> camp uh, bag this yes. past summer. So. We've just been talking about an epic parent community with Grown and Flown. We'd yep. love to build our own little parenting community <laughs> sure. with Apparently. We'd love to have you rate us and review us on iTunes. Just like Lisa and Mary, we started this podcast to connect parents with great information. Maybe not from us, but yep. through us. Exactly. So we'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call at 331-704-0046, or you can email us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Whenever we
Everybody's 